You are listening to audio from Genesis Community Church. To find out more, visit us online at genesiscommunity.church. Amen. If you got kids up to second grade who are headed to the back, you can let them go now. They'll be led to their classes, and they'll keep worshiping and, and growing in the Word. And we'll do the same here. So we're going to be in Colossians chapter 2, continuing in this series uh, through the book of Colossians. And uh, it's, uh, it, it has been a, a letter, as we, we know so far, that is focused squarely on who Jesus is in himself, who he is toward us. And... Um, and so far, it's been a great encouragement to just, uh, to just glory in who Christ is. And we're going to continue that this morning because that's what Paul continues to do and focus our attention and our worship on the Lord Jesus. So uh, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 6. And we're going to make it through, Lord willing, make it through verse 10 this morning. All right. Well, I'll read this out loud, and if you would follow along, and then we'll ask the Lord for some help here just for what we hope to see him accomplish. Colossians 2, starting at verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head and rule of all authority. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask for more than this, for more this morning than just um, some time to read the Bible and talk about it. God, we ask that you would move with your power in our hearts, that you would cause us to have our our attention and our faith and our worship devoted completely to Christ to be guided by your word this morning, that we would have it in our hearts because of an act of grace on your part, not because we came in here prepared, but because you would catch us off guard and do a work that we maybe weren't even asking for as we came in those doors in the back, that you would cause us to be in a posture of humility and desire and hopefulness toward you. We ask that all of us would be different than when we walked in here because of the power of the Holy Spirit of God wielding the word to kill what's earthly in us 
and make us more like Jesus. It's our hope. It's our desire. It's our one sole purpose this morning, Lord, to glorify you by being changed. So please, God, take over. Have your way in each of our hearts. Let us not resist you. Let us desire you wholeheartedly. We trust you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as Paul continues here, um, he is, what he's continuing to do is seek to overcome some philosophies, some human traditions, some deceit, and things like that have crept into the life of the church at Colossae and caused them to be distracted from Jesus so that Jesus is now not the object of their worship, but he becomes a part of their journey. And, and that was never who Jesus came to be for us. He came to be our all in all. And so Paul is seeking to correct their understanding and, and return them to their initial understanding as Epaphras came and preached the gospel to his friends, his family, those people that he was associated with in Colossae. And they understood from the beginning that Jesus is the gospel. He's the good news. Everything that's good about God is demonstrated in Christ. And so he is the visible representation of all of God's glory, all of his perfections, all of the wonderful things that we so need, but so uh, fail to, to measure up to. And so we needed Christ to also be a sacrifice in our place for our sins. And he was that, and he was that completely and perfectly so here we are, again, seeking to understand who Jesus is in himself, who he is apart from us, but who he also is for us, and then who we become in light of Christ. So there's a few things that Paul is seeking to do in these verses. He's seeking to help us understand how we received Christ Jesus as Lord. He wants us to be mindful of that and be reminded of that then also to know how we continue to walk in him in the same way that we received him. And then we, we see his heart for the Colossians, why this was so important, and then what the difference is between the life of a person who's rooted in human tradition and the life of a person who's rooted in Christ. And, and so that's what we're going to seek to establish this morning through these verses so how did we receive Christ as Lord? He says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught. Just as you were taught. So he's, he's throwing their minds back to those early days when Jesus was presented to them as a savior, the gospel was preached, and they believed. And what was it that they knew about Christ in those early days that maybe they've strayed from now? He's calling them back to return. As you received Christ Jesus the Lord. Well, he's been very clear in this letter and in other letters and, and in some spots maybe more obviously than others, but we all know at this point that the way we received Christ was not because we suddenly in and of ourselves realized we had a great need and said, well, there must be someone who can help me. And we began some journey of seeking out the help to meet our need. 
and finding that Jesus was the best answer we could come up with for meeting our need. And so we called out to Jesus, Jesus, wherever you are, whoever you are, will you come and meet my need? And Jesus responded accordingly to all this work and all this pursuing that we had done. Anybody want to raise their hand and say, that was definitely my journey. Jesus was just this, uh, this unknown thing out there, and I found my way toward him. We know from the scriptures, and, and we all know, if we connect the dots in our spiritual experience, that it was Jesus who made his way toward us, right? Jesus made his way toward us. We were dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked, following the prince of the power of the air and the course of this world, right? And, and we were just dead. We were lost and, and drowning at the bottom of the ocean. And Jesus reaches down and pulls us up and makes us alive. There was no pursuit on our part. It was Jesus' pursuit of us. So knowing this, knowing that we were dead people who were made alive by a Savior who made his way to us, and that it was our sin that was our problem, not just some limitation, not just some misunderstanding, but it was the fact that we were defined by our sinfulness, and Jesus comes in and redefines us by his righteousness, and that we have to trust in that completely, There's nothing we can do to add to it, take away from it, alter it, nothing. It's Jesus' righteousness we need credited to us so that we can approach a holy God with faith that we won't be crushed, but will be accepted. This is how we received Christ Jesus the Lord. And he's very particular about the language he uses, about even the title he gives Jesus as we understand how we received him. He's Christ Jesus, the Lord. He's the Messiah. He's the promised one, this this one who was to come, who was everyone the nation of Israel had been waiting on, but he wasn't coming to rescue them from Roman oppression. He was coming to rescue their souls from sin, from evil, from darkness, from death. And he doesn't just come to be Savior, but he comes to be Lord. He is Master. He's God. And so, as we've received the Lord, we understand we're in a position of complete humility and reception of something that was completely outside of us, something that we couldn't find, didn't ask for, didn't even want. In fact, we're in rebellion against But Jesus makes a move on our heart, awakens us, redeems us, reconciles us to God, and he becomes our Lord so that our lives now are devoted to his glory, not our own. As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so now walk in him. If we've received the Lord by grace through faith, And we should walk in him, that is, carry out the way of our life, our manner of living in Christ, in the same way, by grace, through faith, then that's way different than coming to Jesus through this doorway of the gospel and then standing up on your own and going, okay, what now? I've I've been given this gift of grace called salvation, but now in my own power, by my own wisdom, in my own strength, I'm going to navigate life in some way that I can make much of Jesus. And Paul is saying, lay all that down and understand, just in the same way that you had nothing to contribute to your salvation, 
You have no power, no wisdom, no authority to contribute to your sanctification. You're you're not going to follow Jesus in a better, more God-glorifying way because you just dug deep and found something inside yourself. Some kind of power, some kind of inspiration that was always there. Jesus just had to wake it up. That's just not the case. As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so now, today, be on a journey, on a pursuit that you realize is, is being empowered by the same grace that saved you. The same spirit that brought you from death to life is causing you to take every step in a way that will glorify Jesus and not yourself. As you received Christ Jesus, so now walk in him. Our lives, not just our salvation, but our lives are defined by God's grace. By our own weakness and our dependence on him. This is the way we survive. It's the way we live. If we in any way try to depart from that or tap into some other source, we're going to find ourselves hurting, confused, probably rebelling, very, very upset about the circumstances that God has allowed into our lives or caused in our lives because we think we figured out some path for ourselves and in our own power, we're going to work out that journey and God's just saying, let go of your control, let go of trying to make this happen on your own in your own strength and just trust, trust God. That, that sounds like just some, man, it can sound trite, can't it? For us to say, you know, just the same way you came to know Jesus, that it was him making his way to you, so now you should pursue Jesus, understanding that he's always making his way toward you, and you'll always be prone to turning back and defending yourself from Jesus and, and wandering away from him, but he'll always keep pursuing you, so just trust that. And that that can sound kind of empty, can't it? Because we know that we wake up every day and we put our feet on the floor. And we make our way through our day and there's this personal responsibility to follow Jesus. And if we don't, that's on us, right? That's on me. If I make a decision to not glorify Christ, but to glorify myself, that is pursue what I want, pursue what makes a big deal of me, If I live in that way, then I'm responsible for the consequences of my sin. And praise God, I'm under his grace, not under his wrath, but he'll discipline me as a son because he loves me. So to just say, man, just just let go and let God can sound kind of empty, right? But here's where it it really connects with our daily living. Understand that these people who are being spoken to are not these just like saintly figures just floating around Colossae and all of their holiness just carried by the Holy Spirit and there's no difficulty, there's no decisions to make. They put their feet on the ground in the morning and they're just whisked through life by the Holy Spirit on this mystical journey. That's what people were trying to tell them life was like. These people who said that spiritual things are completely disconnected from real life 
that Jesus is this, this kind of spiritual figure, but you've got to dig within yourself. You've got to mine the depths of your own soul and, and find this richness and this goodness and this pursuit of depth and spiritual things that Jesus just kind of woke you up, but he's not the pursuit. You have to get there. It can feel so disconnected, but it's not disconnected. Here's why. I'll just use my life as an illustration. I'm married. The fact that I'm married provides me with a responsibility that I'm completely incapable of living out in my power. You know how I know? I've tried. You ever tried that? You ever just tried to have that figured out? Just try to make a plan and stick to the plan and your spouse is not down with your plan? just not really getting it? Where'd you even come up with that? Why would you think that I even need that from you? Why would you think that loving me in a way like that is even something that would appeal to me? And trying to just be married in my own strength is a shipwreck. But if I say to myself, the same way that I came to receive Christ Jesus the Lord, is the same way that I should pursue my wife, the same way that I should love my family, realizing that there's nothing inside of me that they need, but it's Christ in me that they need. They need me to need Christ. They need me to love and cherish Christ and be dependent on Christ for everything Not a little bit of Jesus plus whatever I can figure out, but all Jesus, all the time, and whatever I've figured out has to be laid at his feet and sifted through by him. And whatever remains is good, and I offer to them. And whatever is cast to the side, I abandon as a pursuit. I need Jesus, and my family needs me to need Jesus. So as I came to know him and receive him, so I should walk in him toward my family. It's not something that's disconnected from life. It is life. It is the pursuit of joy and peace and grace and sanctification and glory for God. So we can't just see the gospel as this gateway into a life. The gospel is our life. And, and again, I know that that can sound kind of like website jargon, But it's not. It's the Bible's message to us. It's Paul's appeal to the church at Colossae. Don't forget Jesus. Walk in him. Depend on him. He is everything. Verse 7, he says, Rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Again, they've been, they've been taught something since those early days. They've been taught something that doesn't align with that teaching from the very beginning. They've been taught that Jesus is great, but he's not everything. Jesus is a God, but Jesus is not the God Jesus is powerful, but he doesn't have all the power you need. There's something inside of yourself you have to tap into. There's some kind of knowledge, some kind of wisdom that isn't completely encapsulated by Christ. There's something else you can find 
There's some well inside your soul that you can dive into and you can find something richer, something more grandiose than Christ. He's good, but he's not everything. He says that we should be rooted and built up in Jesus and established in this faith in Jesus just as we were taught. Just as we were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. If you're thankful, that has an element of contentment to it, doesn't it? If you're thankful, it may not mean that you're completely satisfied with everything as it is, but if you're thankful, it means that, that you found something that you appreciate, that you're grateful for, and that you can be happy with. So he's saying, abounding in thanksgiving appreciating and being grateful for all that God's done for you based on those things that you were taught in the very beginning that Jesus is enough, that Jesus is everything, that you could not possibly live a life of, of just this hermit enclosed with all of your piles of books and, and compiling all of your knowledge about the way the world works and about nature and about humanity and, and discovering all the philosophies that people have pursued in life in order to ascend to some level of greatness, of wisdom, of human thought, that there is nothing, nothing you could find that would be deeper than Christ. Nothing. Just return. Just as you were taught. It's more than enough. And we should not only just be content with it, we should not, as, this, as if there's some attitude in us that says, well, if you're only offering me Jesus, I'll settle for it. I don't expect that much out of life, so I guess Jesus will have to be enough for me. Instead, we're abounding in thanksgiving that we have Christ. That just as he's been presented to us in the gospel, he is more than enough for us. And we're rooted and built up in him. So now there's two images that Paul is giving. If we're rooted in him, then we get this kind of plant life imagery, don't we? We almost imagine a tree. If we're the tree, then what are we rooted in? If we're rooted in Christ... If he is this foundation, he's the whole earth that we find ourselves connected to and drawing our life from, our nutrition from, and that that nutrition in life builds us up and gives us the strength that we need to stand firm and to bear fruit, then we have to be diligently rooted in Christ and no other thing. If we're rooted in something other than Jesus, then the effect will be that we begin to bear fruit based on that thing. If you're rooted in Christ, then you will bear fruit that exalts and demonstrates Christ. Your life will look like Christ because that's where you drew all of that nutrition from. It informed the fruit. But if you're rooted in money, if you're rooted in other people, if you're rooted in some kind of teaching or some kind of philosophy, then that's going to define the fruit of your life. What are you producing? What do you look like? What do people understand about God as they look at your life? We have to be rooted in Christ so that it's his life 
coming through us and his fruit for his glory that's being grown in our lives. And being built up. Now here's another metaphor that he's using. Now we're talking about construction. We're being built up in him. So he's the foundation again, and we're building on this foundation of Christ. And we know from the scriptures, Jesus is called the cornerstone. The cornerstone is not just some big block, and it's not just some random starting point. The cornerstone is what has the entire structure take its form and its shape. So the cornerstone is laid first. And then you have your plumb line, and you have your horizontal lines. And everything is finding its shape and and finding all of its lines and its structure and its strength based on what the cornerstone provided. And if we're not built in Christ, taking our form and taking our shape from him, what does he look like? That's what I have to look like. What is he pursuing? That's what I pursue. What is he built for? I want to put myself into the structure so that I, in some small way, am a piece of what God is building in the world. And I'm not everything. I'm just built up in him. He is the house. He's the structure. And he's the foundation. And I'm just this piece that gets the honor the privilege, the joy of being placed in him to serve some purpose according to his design. Rooted and built up in him. Again, all he's trying to do is just have us return. Have us return to Christ, to remember Christ, to not leave Christ for some pursuit of God, for some pursuit of knowledge. Now this next part, I feel like we can have a particular perspective on in 21st century Christianity that may, for some of us, uh, upset our way of life, our pursuits, but it's important for us, and some of us will just get a good laugh out of it. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Again, he's saying that we should be taken captive by Christ, not by these other things, philosophy and empty deceit, human traditions, elemental spirits of the world. Now, this is Paul's heart for the Colossians. This is his warning, his admonition that they don't forget Jesus and begin to pursue God based on some other form of what what is perceived to be some deeper knowledge. Because they were hearing a teaching that said Jesus was good, but just not enough on his own. So there was an attempt to persuade them that the gospel of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection was just the diving board into this well of wisdom and spiritual significance that could be experienced if they would just open their minds and go deeper than these shallow waters of just Jesus. The problem with that, again, is that there is no deeper knowledge than Jesus himself. And honestly, we don't have to try to go out of our way to make the gospel of Jesus sound impressive in order to make this point. Here's what I mean. 
I could spend, I could have spent my entire week trying to, okay, look, if this is, if what Paul is saying here is that Jesus is the deepest, he's the richest, he's the most profound, you can't find anything more meaningful and, and more mind-blowing than Jesus and his gospel, then I've got to spend my entire week trying to find a way of just saying the truth of the gospel, but in some manner or using some kind of verbiage that will just really strike the hearts of the people in the room and make them go, wow. I never thought of it like that. I never knew how deep the gospel is. I could have spent my whole week just trying to come up with all this fancy language and all these things, but instead, let me say this. A holy God who exists apart from us and doesn't need us for anything came into our screwed up world filled with our sin and brokenness took it on himself, paid the cost of our sin, bore the wrath of God on himself against our unrighteousness, and that just as an act of grace, of love on his part, that when he awakens our hearts to faith in Christ, that faith will cause his righteousness to be exchanged for our sinfulness so that we're justified before this holy God so that we may have a relationship with him. That's just the gospel. That's just the gospel. But the depth of that word is too deep for any one of us to come to the end of in a lifetime. You will never, never, brothers and sisters, with a heart open and receptive to the Holy Spirit of God, for him to teach you and lead you into all the truth as Jesus promised, you will never be reading this book and go, yeah, I feel like I pretty much got it. All right, what else? What else? All right, God. I mean, that's cool. That's great. But the idea that you would come into this world and sacrifice yourself for all those rebels who've hated you and sought to be free from your reign, that you would come and offer your own life as a sacrifice for their sake is neat. It's neat, but I'm not sure that it's everything. Come on, man. Come on. Do we need to leave the gospel to find something worth our time to pursue? To find some level of knowledge that, that these baby Christians are just kind of splashing around in. Jesus died for me. Wee! And we're like, man, I'm going to the deep end, bro. I'm going to the deep end. Jesus dying for you isn't deep enough for you? So listen, here, here's where it goes. Here's where it goes. We've got people in our church culture who I think are... Mostly sincere, I think we know the ones who aren't, but some very sincere people we've all had conversations with where we find them saying things that sound very spiritual but are so vague that outwardly we're kind of nodding, but inwardly we're panicking to try to find something that connects to the truth of the Bible. Just anything at all. And I just, I, 
I'm not trying to like call certain types of people out or something like that because some of my best friends have said stuff and I know I've said things in the past. I've even like, for my wife Jenny in my college days, I can remember things that I said like, I was just in prayer. And by the way, I'm not sure that it was completely sincere because in a way I was trying to kind of woo her and convince her I was so spiritual. I don't know. But, the, but experiencing and really loving God and pursuing God and saying things that now I look back like, I don't know how connected to real concrete truth and Bible. Like maybe not even, it was a bad experience, but I'm not sure that that was like, I don't know. Here's some of those kinds of things, stuff like this. I just feel like God is saying I need to release my spirit before he can manifest my anointing. So outwardly, right, you're kind of like, hmm. But inwardly, you're going, ah, what, is it? what does it mean? Right? I, just, oh, I so want to agree with this person because they just seem so spiritual and so sincere. And right, I really like, they obviously had something that really meant something to me, but what it manifest, what? Stuff like that that just, I, I, we don't know what it means. When I worship, I'm just in another dimension. And I feel grandma's joy there or something like, what? Okay, grandma? <laughs> Stuff like that would just, you, you don't know how it really connects to the truth of scripture, but it seems so deep. It seems so deep. Now listen, here's the more disturbing way it happens. And, and I'm, gonna, I'm gonna pick on some of my brothers and sisters in, in the, in the like reformed community where there's this temptation for us to enter into salvation by grace through faith and not any work of our own, but it's the work of God so that no one may boast, but then turn into monsters for knowledge who are devouring people if you don't agree with every point of doctrine that I find myself suddenly being awakened to, and we call it the cage phase. Where, where when, somebody, when somebody realizes the doctrines of grace and realizes that Jesus made his way to us and we couldn't make our way to him and that some person over here thinks that they should use a phrase like, when I found Jesus. And all they mean is when they came to know him, like when they suddenly realized they loved him and they wanted him and they began to pursue him and this person over here is going, you didn't find Jesus, he found you. You just got to cage that dude up for a while. He can't be with people for a while. Because he thinks there's some deeper, more profound truth than just the simplicity of Jesus saved me. Jesus died for me. I want to know Jesus. I'm pursuing Christ. You can say that. It's okay to say you found him. Jesus says there's a man walking and he finds a treasure in a field and he goes and sells everything he, that belongs to him so that he can buy that field and own that treasure. But cage phase reform dude is going, you didn't find Jesus. You didn't find Jesus. The treasure found you. But Jesus, never mind. Just get back in your cage. Even in a camp where we're, where we're savagely, ruthlessly about the doctrines of God, 
there can be this kind of like, man, what are you doing? What, what is your pursuit here? Is it just knowledge that you can wield and use to lord over people and shame them into conforming to your image, being in your camp? We just got to get past that. We've got to stick to Christ wholeheartedly, sincerely, embracing him, loving him, following him as a Lord, and not putting all these parameters and seeking to find some way to make it deeper than the simplicity of what it is on its own. The gospel's the gospel. Now, I am, um, I'm not going to pretend that I've never had frustration or things like that with people who disagree with me theologically. But I am saying that if my heart is connected to Christ and not just a pursuit of knowledge, then I'll find myself loving people who disagree with me. And if we have common ground in Christ, then it's enough for us to pursue him together. The last thing that Paul's trying to do here is show the difference between a life rooted in human tradition and a life rooted in Christ. Human tradition Human tradition is something like this. Work to build temporary security through acquiring wealth. That's human tradition. You've only got a certain amount of time in this world. You don't know how long that's going to be. So you work as hard as you can to acquire as much wealth and security for yourself as you can and hopefully pass something down to your children. And as close to as close to eternal significance as you can get is the fact that you're passing it to them and that they may build on it and pass it to their children, right? That's about as far into the future as you can get. Human tradition. Work to build temporary security through acquiring wealth. But to be rooted in Christ says, receive eternal security through the head of all rule and authority. What rule and authority do I have? Zero. He has all of it. Being rooted in him makes a difference in my life that says I don't have to scratch and claw through life to get on top of the food chain. I'm forever united to Jesus, my Lord, the ruler of all things. And in the midst of trial, pain, confusion, deep breath, he loves us. He loves us. Romans 8, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. You want to look for security, having God pray to God for you? Do, you. do you imagine any scenario where God says no to his own prayers? But the Spirit himself is interceding for us according to his will. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Rooted in Christ provides a level of security that you can count on no matter what life throws at you. 
Another human tradition, that personal value is based either on what we can offer others or how little we need others. So if you can offer me something, then they're important to me and you have value. Or if I look at you and go, man, that guy doesn't even need anybody. That's an important person. When you can ascend to a level of life where anybody can do anything they want to try to destroy you and you stand independently from them. Man, that's an important, valuable person. Rooted in Christ says personal value is based on the righteousness of Christ credited to us through a gift of God's grace. That cannot be touched. Anybody in this world can lose anything at any time. But if you're in Christ, you cannot be lost because it depends on him, not on you. So the difference in my life, I don't have to strive to become great or make a name for myself. My worth is not determined in my ability to keep the rules. I don't have to be liked by everyone or needed by everyone. Deep breath. He loves us. He loves us. Listen to the psalmist, to David, Psalm 116. Listen to the tenderness, the humility, the the acknowledgement of need and desperation and the look towards the Lord to see him as the answer. I love the Lord because he's heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore... I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest. The Lord has dealt bountifully with you. In the midst of his suffering, he turns to the Lord and he finds that the Lord is enough not only to overcome his weakness and his suffering, but to satisfy his soul. To satisfy so that he says to his own soul, Return to your rest. The Lord has dealt with you bountifully. Paul's version of that is rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Seeing to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to these human traditions, which are all based on your, your version of value, your version of security and what you can acquire for yourself. According to the elemental spirits of the world, these spirits who would convince you to, to, look, to look away from Jesus for security and value and not according to Christ. Because look at Jesus. Look at him. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Dude, listen. Listen. If you want 
to be secure. If you want to be rooted and built up in something firm, something established, something that never loses its authority, its strength, its love for you, then who better to look to than the one who is the head of all rule and authority in whom the whole fullness of deity dwells. He is God. All of God is Jesus. Jesus is all of God and you are in him. In him. Not just near him. Not just sitting in his lap and he's just kind of rubbing your back and and proud of you. You're in him. You're enveloped by him. You're secure and surrounded by Jesus. You can't even find your way out of him if you want to. You are so consumed with your identity in Christ that even you can't disrupt it or deny it. You are in God. Now, if you're new to the scriptures, you may be a little confused. Are you saying I'm God? What we're saying is God has all the power, all the authority. He is sovereign. He orders the planets and the stars. Nothing moves a millimeter apart from his authority and rule. And Jesus is the head. He is the authority and the rule. And if he has chosen you, you are secure. Because Jesus, not because you. What we're calling you to this morning is a return to the simplicity of that knowledge. Not because it means, well, that's just easy. It's not easy. It takes faith. It's not seen. It's not always felt. But to return to something, a truth that says, God loves you and is committed to you. And he's expressed that through Christ. If you every single morning before your feet hit the ground were to remind yourself of the gospel, it would have a powerful effect on your life. To be committed to pursuing a deeper knowledge of what Christ has accomplished and who you are in light of who he is and not straying to the right or to the left to try to find some philosophy or some human tradition that will fill in the details or, or allow you to go deeper or join some society of thinkers who've unlocked some mystery in the Bible that for 2,000 years no one else has discovered, but to just ground and root and build yourself up in the simplicity of knowing God loves you and has expressed that love to you through Jesus. Your soul will be satisfied. You can say to your soul, return, 
O my soul, to your rest. The Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Even as everything crumbles around you, you can say that. And it'll be enough to satisfy your soul. Let's pray about it. Thank you for listening to audio from Genesis Community Church. To find out more, visit us online at genesiscommunity.church.